You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. So if you're looking for any type of battery from rangefinders to trail cameras to your truck, car, batteries, anything, any type of battery that you can think of, visit your local Interstate Batteries retail location and talk with a battery specialist. For more information about the company and all of the batteries that these guys offer, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. That's what I call pro talk. When you really don't know the answer, you just make it up. My rut is that I am in a rut. To get the pilot of Red Arrow going. This is really a way to skip class. I want to say, hey, those boys right there are entertaining. <laughs> there you <laughs> go. That's the nicest thing anybody's ever said on this podcast. Alex Rutledge here with American Roots Outdoors TV. Hey, this is Lee and Tiffany Lukaski from the Crush TV. Hi, I'm Don Higgins. This is Jeff Lindsay. Hey, everybody, this is Mark Dury with Dury Outdoors. Hey, this is Craig Fitz of Train Assassins TV. You're listening to Dave and JP on Pro Talk Outdoors, the craziest two I know. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Pro Talk Outdoors. Things going to be a little different today, and uh, we've done this before. It's been, I think, almost two years since we've had to do this, but Dave and I are in separate locations today. Yeah, we are. And, uh, I, uh, <laughs> one of those things, you know, these days are, are trying for, uh, for everybody, uh, in the country and probably in the world, really, for the most part with this Corona. And I'm, I'm possibly sitting over here with a little Corona with my Lyme disease, uh, <laughs> for yeah. lack of better terms. I, you know, I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, tell everybody if you don't mind, if you're willing to share, clearly you are, uh, since I brought it up, yeah. um, what, yeah, what the situation you know, is with you. Well, here's the thing, you know, uh, um, over the course of the last, you know, I don't know, a week and a half or so, I've very mild symptoms. I would say, you know, at first thought, you know, probably got a sinus, you know, a little sinus infection going on or something. And that may be very well what it is, but, um, you know, slight fever, uh, a cough, kind of a nagging cough, um, waking up with some mucusy stuff in the mornings and get it at night, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, a little bit of a sore throat from time to time. And, you know, those things have kind of persisted a little bit and never give it a second thought that, Hey, I may have coronavirus, but then as more and more information comes out with this thing, um, you know, the, the Floyd County uh, health department, which is just South of us, released a statement uh, just last night that there was a confirmed case and listed the places that this individual had been over the course of the last couple weeks. And wouldn't you just know it that three, unreal, three of the places that this person was, I was at the same place at the same time that they were. So it's quite possible that, that uh, you know, I was exposed to this virus and, you know, the, the, the crazy thing is, um, 
you know, everybody says, get tested, get tested, get tested. But this morning I woke up with a mission of, I need to go get tested just because um, it's the right thing to do. Not because I feel bad, really. I mean, because honestly, this thing, whatever I got is a walk in the park. It's you, nothing You've sounded to the flu. much worse on a regular basis <laughs> at this yeah, time of year. I mean, you typically get this. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a walk in the park compared to the normal flu. Um, but so I contacted the health departments and they said, contact your local doctor and you contact your local doctor and they want to talk to you on the phone and you tell them what's wrong. And they say, well, you know, if, if you're not feeling bad, we don't need to see you, you know, don't worry about coming in, just, you know, kind of stay tight to the house and, and don't be going around crowded places. So basically self quarantine, which fortunately, other than just a couple of times going out to dinner over the last couple of weeks, um, you know, and going to places that this individual was at, I, I mean, I, I work from home anyway. So I'm pretty much, if I'm not um, at home working, I'm either on the lake or in the woods. So, you know, it's kind of a, I self-quarantine all the time anyway. I'm a little <laughs> bit of a recluse that way. Social distancing is uh, pretty easy for you. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's it's like one of my favorite things to do. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Well, another one of your favorite things, and uh, probably my overall favorite thing, is to catch largemouth and smallmouth bass. Black bass, I guess, is is the thing. Since we went to Wisconsin last year, I'm a black bass man instead of just a largemouth man. Yeah, you know, in our area, it's it's uh, you know it's largemouth or nothing pretty much. Um, you know, you get a couple of areas where you get uh, some spotted bass. Uh, you're not too far from us, and and there's some smallmouth in the region, but but for all intents and purposes, you go to any farm pond or any watershed lake or anything in our area, it's largemouth. But um, they all fall under that black bass family. Right. And uh, man, we uh, we've got a we've got a pretty good little water hole to fish, and um, you know, managing that on our scale, you know, I mean, we can't control the entire thing. Obviously, we wouldn't want to. But, you know, it, it's going to be important for us to find out what we should do to make sure that we're doing our part to give those fish their best potential, you know, and, and make sure that we can catch as many good-sized fish as we can. Right, you know, because the fish can't make these decisions or do these actions themselves. We have to uh, be proactive to do good things for this body of water. And, and the problem and, and the big crux of this conversation we're about to have is that we share access to this with folks that, I mean, we know sort of where they live. Some of them we may not even know where they live. But, uh, you know, we just have very loose access and, and no real close relationship to the people that also can get on this body of water. It's not all that many folks, but it doesn't take very many doing the wrong thing to make a body of water bad. But at the same time, if you can get like-minded people doing the same things, I think you can improve one pretty quickly. Luckily, this one is sort of in perfect shape right now, but uh, even the things that are most closely to perfect in the world can still be made a little bit better. So we're going to have Jeff Buckingham of the Black Bass Program uh, with the state of Arkansas come on and, and chat with us a little bit today and uh, look forward to hearing what he says we can do to help ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be an interesting conversation. We'll be back. You're listening to Pro Talk Outdoors. 
Hey everybody, Dave and JP here from Pro Talk Outdoors. Uh, we want to take a quick moment to mention to you guys that now being in the dead of winter, deer season's over, if your state allows it, it would be a great time to go ahead and get some real world wildlife maximizer out there and start getting some mineral out for these deer because, hey, it's a long winter. I know I get hungry this time of year, so do they. Yeah, and I tell you what, folks, it's not just for growing those those bigger bucks. No, and, the does and, need it. Yeah, those does, soon they're going to be dropping those fawns on the ground. They're going to need to be building up a lot of body mass for that lactation, mm-hmm. help out those fawns, get all those deer started off on the right foot, and prepare them for a long, hard winter and get them right through to springtime. And if you need to know where to get that, www.realworldwildlifeproducts.com. Go to your dealer page. Buy that from a local dealer. Nothing against Don, West, Terry, and all the boys at, at Real World. I'd love for them to, to get an order direct, but... Take care of these dealers. These guys are working hard to answer your questions and provide availability of resources and, you know, mineral itself right there close to you. Take care of those guys and reach out to the person closest to you. Yeah, besides that, Wes, if he's out filling orders and he's loading trucks, he's not going to have as much time to go out shed hunting. So take care of him. (laughs) Hey, and if you need a quick answer and can't get your dealer, feel free to reach out to Dave or I. We'll be glad to help. Hey everybody, welcome back to Pro Talk Outdoors, and uh, we try to do as much of this biology-related, conservation-related coverage that we possibly can, uh, at least as much that is relevant. And this time of year, a lot of folks are really getting ready and, and getting excited about getting after some some bass, whether that's largemouth or smallmouth, and hopefully for you guys, if you're listening, you already have. But uh, Dave and I want to welcome Jeff Buckingham from the state of Arkansas onto the show and, and have him talk with us a little bit about just how how hard it is to manage a body of water when you're not the only one that has access to it. Jeff, thanks for coming on. Hey, appreciate you having me. So, uh, for the listeners that are that are tuned in here, can you explain exactly what your title is uh, within the state and, and how you came about getting that gig and and what it all means? All right, yeah, I'm the uh, black bass program biologist for the state of Arkansas, the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission. And uh, basically what we do is uh, just kind of everything related to uh, black bass management in the state of Arkansas. So whether that's uh, sampling for the fish and kind of making recommendations, uh, the way it's broken up in the state is we have a bunch of uh, district biologists that are basically the people who are in charge of the lake, but we'll help them out to make uh, the best management practices uh, for a particular lake and um, just whatever other help they need. Um, another thing we do a lot of is, uh, habitat enhancement. So in Arkansas, that means a lot of either doing, uh, vegetation projects, trying to revegetate lakes. Um, uh, it's in some of our reservoirs, our, our reservoirs are getting really old now. So the habitat is really degrading. So we're trying to just, um, improve the habitat and that in turn improves the fisheries. So, uh, habitat you know, vegetation projects and uh, a lot of sinking of brush piles is a lot of what we do with that. Um, we also help with some tournament assistance, and uh, that just means um, helping some of these larger tournaments with the fish care and showing tournament directors on uh, just the best way to kind of host a fishing tournament and uh, decrease uh, their their mortality over the, over the event like that. Um, I guess going back to one of your other questions was uh, how I kind of got to this place. Um, I originally grew up in southern Wisconsin and always kind of had a 
interest in fishing. Uh, I eventually went to grad school in Auburn, Alabama, and got my master's in uh, fisheries management there, and then ended up getting the job in Arkansas about four years ago. Okay. Well, I mean, it, obviously it sounds like you're deeply involved with this kind of thing on a day-to-day -day basis and really kind of the, the perfect person to bounce some of these questions off of. Uh, Dave and I were both lucky enough to, to get in on a, a lease together for a new body of water. Um, I mean, it came with hunting rights as well, but there's a great body of water on it. And selfishly, we'll sometimes have some guests on here to answer some of the questions that he and I have, but uh, in honesty, some of the same ones we have have to be things that other folks have in mind as well and, and may be facing on a day-to-day -day basis. So with that in mind, we can't be the only guys in the world that share access to a body of water with folks that we don't necessarily know very well or, or may not know at all. So what would be some of your biggest tips toward proper lake management with folks like that that are, that are neighborly but not really friends or acquaintances? Yeah, I mean, uh, most times when we're asking uh, how a body of water is going to get managed, you like, you like to find out what people want in that pond, whether that be, you know, they want trophy bass fishing or they want to go and catch a lot of fish or they, maybe they want um, big bluegill or something like that. So the best you can, you'd like to try to get all of the pond owners or, you know, people who have access to the pond and try to get a good consensus of what you really want that pond to be. Um, if that's not really possible, then you're probably maybe looks, looking to have like a just balanced pond where you're going to have, you know, pretty good fishing and, you know, maybe catch a big one here and there, but that might not be your, you know, only um, thing that you're going there for is just for a, a trophy management. So, um, you know, it, to me, it's like, it's always just, you, you know, you manage a fishery for the, the people who own it, you know, whether that be a big reservoir for all the stakeholders or, you know, a small reservoir with only a few owners, you try to manage for what those people want in that. Um, so with that said, I guess with the, uh, um, in your guys' situation, uh, you probably are looking for just that balanced fishery. And with that, like a lot of times I'll recommend people, uh, at least in the southern United States, one of the biggest problems we have with uh, small impoundments and uh, small lakes is that there actually get too many bass in them. And when that happens, you get stunting and the fish just don't really grow. So you end up with just a lot of like really small bass. And one of the major things that we recommend for that is really uh, practicing selective harvest. Um, it's actually, you know, catch and release is a great thing, but too much of it can be problematic. Um, so just actually taking out some of those smaller bass can really improve the fishery. And it's generally, you know, you, you're probably not going to take too many of them out. Um, so even, uh, if some of your pond owners were, you know, against removal, um, they're probably not going to notice just a few being taken out, but, um, it can it can be a tricky situation when you have multiple users of the water body. And what's the best way for you to tell or identify that selective harvest would be a good idea? Obviously, folks say, well, you know, if there's a bunch of small bass, that may be an indication. But some folks I've often heard say, if a bass has some length to it but is really skinny looking, that might be another indicator. What are the best ways for you to identify that as an angler? 
Yeah, uh, if you're just looking at it from an angling standpoint, which uh, without having, you know, like us, you know, we have, we're able to take a, a boat out there and, and do electrofishing, which, you know, stuns the fish and we can kind of get a look at the sample. But, you know, if you're not able to do that and you're just looking at a small water water body, just doing what you said there, um, you know, fish that um, might be long and kind of skinny, especially a skinny fish in the in the spring and even in the fall, uh, that can be a good indication that uh, there's just not enough forage in the pond and you need forage in order to make those fish get bigger, you know. So um, actually, yeah, just what you said there is a pretty good indicator of, uh, you know, there might be too many small fish in the pond. And really, if you're going out there and you're catching 110 uh, to 12 inch bass and then only catching, you know, a handful of bass over 14 inches, that'd be a pretty good indicator as well. Let me ask you this, Jeff. So it, let's say that we were actively trying to manage the bass population by taking some out. Is there a formula that you would follow uh, so many fish per surface body of water or something like that that would be removed? Um, it really does depend on you know, without actually knowing and seeing the exact uh, population that's out there. Um, but, you know, we tell our people down by us is like, you really can't probably take out too many. Um, it's really hard to catch every fish in a pond. So like, but if you, if I would say, this is kind of off the top of my head. If you had a hundred acre lake, um, if you were able to take out, you know, 200 fish out of there, you, you might start, uh, making a dent in the population, you know, taking out 200 of those smaller ones, you might start to see improvement, but even at that point, you still might have to harvest more. Okay. How does, um, how does the, uh, other species play into that? Like, I'll give you an example. This is, this body of water is, I'm going to say, what do you think, JP? Thirty acres in size, maybe altogether. I would say thirty to forty. Yeah. Yeah, thirty to forty, and then there's also crappie in this lake. And how would you, if if the goal in mind was not necessarily quantity but quality of bass, mm -hmm. how would you treat the crappie population in that lake? Well, if, if the goal was to kind of focus on bass. My recommendation would almost be to have no crappie in there, but I know some anglers also like to catch crappie mixed in. So, um, I mean, because that is just, I mean, they can be pretty predatory as well and, and can take a lot of forage. That's just, a, it's another mouth in that lake to feed. So, you know, if you were focused on having bass, um, then you might consider even just, you know, har you know, harvesting a lot of the crappie that you can. It kind of goes the same uh, as harvesting those small bass, you'd like to harvest a lot of those crappie as well because they really are competing for the a lot of the same uh, resources in that pond and or the lake. Now, uh, what about bait fish themselves? I mean, is there a uh, a method that you think an angler could go about in supplementing the food that was in the area? So if you know there are some shad present within the body of water, is it a bad idea to stock some additional shad, or do you think there's something else you can do to sort of supplement the meal that would be there and available for, for species? Um, 
you know, kind of starting right at the, the ground level is uh, fertilization. Um, actively fertilizing a pond can uh, is really, because like, even if you stock additional forage, if the forage don't have food to eat, which would be why you would fertilize the pond to get the, the plankton bloom going. Um, if, if those forage fish don't have something to eat, they're just going to starve as well. So really boosting, you can boost a pond's production by fertilizing it and uh, you can usually uh, I mean you can double the amount of biomass actually that can be in a pond by just fertilizing it's a relatively inexpensive I don't have the number right off the top of my head of what it would cost to fertilize like a 30 acre pond but it's relatively inexpensive to do so well I, I was reading about it the other day and and Correct me if I'm wrong or if perhaps I, I read from a bad source. Is it true that the way you fertilize those is very uh, quadrant uh, effective, if you will? So, you know, if you go to the north end of a lake and you do some sort of fertilization, it has uh, diminishing returns the further you get from the site that you did that. Is that accurate? Um, potentially so. I would think on a small body of water, like a 30-acre lake, um, that, uh, you know, the fertilizer would probably mix in. There's other factors on whether, you know, you would have um, current in there. But, you know, if you do dump all your fertilizer in one spot, you know, ideally you would, um, you know, how we would focus and how we do fertilize some of our lakes down here is you try to kind of evenly spread it out the, throughout the entire pond. So getting in a boat and actually manually spreading it out, um, is the way that we go about it. This is, it does, you know, mitigate against, you know, kind of stockpiling all your fertilizer into one spot. Sure. Hey, I got a question. So, I mean, and I haven't read a thing about fertilization in a pond. So are, are we talking about some kind of, uh, is this kind of like you would fertilize a food plot or a, a garden? I mean, are you using like 10, 10, 10, or you, is there some specialized type fertilizer you use for ponds? Yeah, and again, I don't have that number right off the top of my head. It's it is pretty similar to like you know uh, terrestrial fertilizer like you would use in a food plot or garden, um, and it can be in both uh, liquid form or powder form. Uh, we use just powder form uh, fertilizer, and uh, we'll just go and kind of spread it throughout the lake. Uh, but again, I don't have that number right off the top of my head of what the mixture is but if you look online that information is pretty readily available okay and do you recommend doing that evenly between depth ranges or do you concentrate a little more in a deeper area or a shallow area or is it just pretty evenly dispersed regardless you know i kind of just yeah evenly dispersed regardless um i'll focus you know not directly on the shoreline so that i don't know if your uh, body of water has much for like vegetation in it but um sometimes if you're like putting it like directly right near the shoreline that all that fertilizer just gets used up by the veg, the, by the plants you know it doesn't get into the the water and available for the fish to use it so you know just kind of getting it out in the middle and evenly distributing it uh is is the way we do it okay you know i guess really uh a person really kind of needs to wait and see what kind of vegetation is actually in there before they were to just go and start fertilizing? Because, I mean, there is such a thing as bad vegetation in a pond as well, isn't there? Definitely. Yeah. I mean, there's, uh, 
you know, vegetation is a great thing, but too much of it is a terrible thing. So, um, again, yes, you know, it is a very situational on uh, whether, you know, you'd want to use fertilizer or not. Because, like, uh, you may fertilize and all of that fertilizer may be just used up by the plants and you may be causing a bigger problem than uh, what you're intending. And uh, a lot of times with these local kind of situations like that, if you do have a pond management consulting company in your region it's usually best just to consult with them um you know they are you know they that's what they do is they uh they know how to kind of manage uh these ponds and there's a lot of times that you know i even run into situations um you know pond management isn't my you know number one thing and this is you know for these pond consulting companies so there's a lot of times where i'm seeing stuff that i just don't know on the exact proper way to, to treat it. So I, I got to kind of hand it over to those guys then. Sure. Well, I, I want to ask a question on, on the trophy management side of things. And, and this is going to be a tough question, and I feel like it's relative to the individual, but I want to get a more biological take on it. Everybody has a certain pound or size of fish in their mind that is considered a trophy or a wall hanger, if you will, to, to use the term. Uh, is there a, a rule of thumb in your mind that biologists sort of accept that, okay, if you catch a fish in, in let's say, the northern, northern region, because we're in Indiana, southern Indiana, so I, mm-hmm. we don't have Florida strain or, or, or F1 bass. So if you mm-hmm. catch a bass in our region that is of a certain weight, what is that cutoff in which you think, okay, you may want to consider that a wall hanger because the lifespan of that fish is likely quite short from here? Or, or is that a conversation that's even had? Yeah, I mean, um, I tell our anglers a lot of times, even here down in Arkansas, like, you know, we do produce some bass over 10 pounds and even up to 12 pounds. And, you know, a lot of times the anglers that catch those will take, you know, those home to get them put on the wall. And, I have absolutely no problem with that. I mean, like I said before, catch and release is a great thing, but you know, those fish that are 10, 12 pounds, they do not have much time left with, you know, I mean, they've kind of ran their race and done their thing. So they, you know, those are old fish. They might only have a year or two left. Um, With that said, up in the Northern part, like I can't really speak for sure, but like, you know, the number that comes to my mind is like that six, six, six to seven pound range. Um, you know, I'm getting, I'm thinking those are really old fish. Like I said, I grew up in Southern Wisconsin. And if, if you see a six or seven pounder, that was a, a giant fish and a very old fish that, you know, probably only had a couple of years left in it. So at that point, you know, if someone's taken that out to put it on the wall, it's really not going to have a a huge biological uh, impact there. And do you feel like those fish that are in that sort of older stage, they may only have a year or two left, have they really grown to their full potential? Like similar to a deer, for example, you know, they, there's a bell curve for, for a whitetail in mm-hmm. which it reaches its maximum health and, and antler size. And as it comes back down that bell curve, it's only going to get actually smaller in the rack. I, I don't know if that's the case with a fish or not, but is that and- possible? Yeah, you know, fish tend to kind of just flatten out. They may uh, actually lose a little bit of weight, but for the most part, um, they kind of just flatten out. So they kind of got a continuous kind of growth up until, 
you know, three quarters of the way through their life. And then they probably live about their last quarter of their life at the same weight or so, um, you know, and that is, it does depend on what forages around. Um, there are special circumstances in that, but I think for the most part, that'd probably be a pretty good rule of thumb. I've got a question that just kind of come to my mind here. Um, if, if you're trying to actively manage a body of water and, it, and it's something, you know, 30, 40 acres is relatively small. So even though in our area, that's a pretty good sized pond, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, being year number one for us to be on this body of water and then, and by all intents and purposes, plan on being there for a long time. Do you recommend doing anything like tagging some of these fish and recording weights or anything like that to kind of uh, start some kind of record of, of where these fish are and where they're going? I mean, it could potentially be a, a good idea. Um, you know, uh, depending on what you really want to do with that pond, that kind of information, like if you got, if you wanted to get really serious into managing the pond, I think that would definitely be good information to have. And if you wanted to reach out to like a local pond consultant company, that's information that they should be able to use and you can give them that kind of stuff, especially if you are catching the same bass, you know, over and over again, you know, year one and you can see them in year two, uh, without even killing the fish, you can kind of get a, a good sense of the kind of growth that, uh, is occurring in your lake. And, um, you know, and that can, you can take that growth and whatever number it is and see, uh, especially if you start asking around and find out whether that, if that's good growth or slow growth. And if it's slow growth, well, then that might be an instance where maybe you do have too many fish in there competing for the same food. And that might uh, um, kind of. Maybe that would uh, set you on your route for the kind of management you need to do there. Okay. Yeah. So, is there a? Um, I, I'm, you know, I'm sure. Is that something you can? Uh, is there several reputable, you know, tagging systems out there? Or is there one you would recommend that somebody use? Or, um, I mean, there's a couple companies out there that uh, make the like tags. Uh, there's um, Hall Print. They're a, a company out of Australia, actually. And then there's another company called Floy, and they make. Uh, tags for fish as well you know and those are both companies that um here in arkansas that we use um and they have just all kinds of different styles of tags you can use some of them are external so the you know the typical tag that you would think of like kind of hanging out of their back uh and then we also use ones that are called a pit tag it's p-i-t it means passive integrated transponder and it's a little kind of it's kind of like a a barcode type thing and you inject a little gel cap into them and then you take a uh in order to read the tag number you can you have a special wand or for better uh, lack of a better term and then you scan the fish and it uh gives you you know what the tag number of that fish is and uh, those are what we use a lot for uh on our hatcheries we'll take the fish with them so we know exactly what fish is what and uh, what their history is. That sounds kind of like a, a, an expensive 
toy for us, but for, for all lack of better terms, because you know yeah. we're going to be doing this more of a hobby kind of thing. You know that that yeah. sounds a little pricey. It probably is, and uh, I mean each one of those tags can be a dollar a piece, uh, sometimes even more than that. So uh, it can be pretty pricey. Um, it's one of those cool things that's kind of uh, out there. But uh, another thing you can kind of do and. Uh, it gets kind of confusing, but even taking uh, a fin clip from a fish, and the thing that kind of is, doesn't work with that is fish can actually regenerate their fins. So even if you you know clipped part of the fish, uh, it can grow that fin back. But there's other times when if you're trying to do kind of short-term things, you know we'll kind of uh, clip a piece of the fin to mark it that way, and then if we're coming back within the next couple months to see if we can find that fish again we'll uh be looking for that mark but that's again only really good for a short-term kind of deal right well before we let you go jeff i want to ask one one more question here as related to the biology side of it obviously the fertilization sounded like the the best fit for this question but what else Mm -hmm. uh sort of unknown or under the under the radar kind of thing, could folks like us do to supplement or improve their body of water? Yeah, it kind of goes back to the fertilization thing, and you were kind of leading at that before when you kind of when you asked uh, if there was forage to put in there. But like, if you really, you know, if you had your bass population kind of under control where you thought it was and started fertilizing, that really does open it up to, you know, stocking more forage in um in that body of water and i'm not really sure in indiana what the proper forage would be but i would think like golden shiners and maybe even other bluegill and sunfish species might be um, something to go in there but you know again that starts adding up uh the bill starts getting a little higher when you start stocking fishing and stuff so uh, that's the biggest thing i i try to recommend to people because fertilization actually is fairly inexpensive and um, you know, there's some great resources online that if you follow the steps on and do proper fertilization, you really can increase the the amount of biomass you can have in your pond. So that just means uh, more fish and bigger fish, hopefully, um, as long as they don't get too overrun with the small ones. And um, but I, I would think you know that would probably be the best deal. I mean, and even fish that if you're don't have a ton of fish in there and they're looking kind of skinny that fertilization should really help out with that too awesome well jeff uh, before we let you go then just tell everybody where they can keep up with the the kind of things you guys are doing from a, a state perspective and anything online folks can pay attention to, to to learn more about bass biology yeah um here in arkansas we have a facebook page called uh, arkansas black bass management and that kind of just gives an overview of all the different stuff we're doing here in Arkansas. Um, and it, I mean, it really, you know, it's there in Arkansas, but a lot of things that we're doing is stuff that uh, biologists in all these other states around the United States are doing as well. So if people are just curious about uh, what kind of things we're doing to kind of help bass fisheries, um, check out the Arkansas black bass management Facebook page, uh, that's a good resource. And like I said, for managing ponds, um, just a quick Google search can, you know, really kind of come up with a lot of them. And I would be surprised if even uh, the local DNRs in Indiana or 
around your region might have some uh, materials for managing ponds, you know, best management practices and stuff like that. Well, Jeff, man, it's been a pleasure. Hang with us through the break. You're listening to Pro Talk Outdoors. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Pro Talk Outdoors. We had another fishing episode, and uh, if I do admit myself, those are usually my favorite. Uh, don't get me wrong. I, I still I love my, my white-tailed deer and, and hunting turkey, but uh, there's just something something deep in my heart that's rooted to bass fishing that is just never going away. You know, it's it's the one thing that we can do that's – I wouldn't call it a year-round thing here because we have some months where it's real tough to get a bite, and, you know, we're out chasing deer for, you know, part of the uh, late fall, early winter. But for the most part, I mean, you can go out almost every month of the year and catch some fish, and, and we love to – we love to sore lips and bass. Man, I know, and and we're very fortunate to have have access on this new body of water. That uh, in poor fishing conditions, you and I have both caught multiple fish in I think just about two or three trips apiece that were three, four, and five pounds. So uh, in in the state of Indiana and in southern Indiana, that is a, a pretty good start when you haven't even hit the good fishing time yet. Yeah, and I you know I'd be remiss if. Uh, I don't even want to admit it, but, you know, Savannah's probably caught a bigger bass than, than either one of us have caught out of there yeah. in the limited time she's been out there. But it, it's just a, it's a tremendous lake, and it's a lake that um, I used to have access to 20 years ago and, and caught great fish then. And, and I think you probably got sick and tired of hearing me talk about this this wonderland out there, this wonder lake, how, how amazing it is and how we just – would be doing great things if we could get on that water and and uh by some luck we just happened to find a way to 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 uh obtain some uh property that would uh, give us access to this lake and, and it's been uh pretty exciting uh, it's it's very exciting i mean i i haven't been this excited for a fishing season to kick off in some time and i normally get the fever so bad in january that uh, people want to slap me because i can't stop talking about it or thinking about it and uh, to say that i'm more excited than that is is just about as strong a statement as i could make well you know i've i've uh, shared the deer woods with uh with quite a few folks and i think you're the well i know you're the only one that i could be sitting in a tree stand with in uh, the middle of november in the prime of the rut and you're looking around at me saying man i can't wait to go bass fishing <laughs> <laughs> it's true i have said that before i mean it's it's a fact it's just an illness it's a sickness down deep inside but uh it was, it was a great job by jeff he answered a lot of great questions i hope that some of those can apply to you and, and your body of water no matter how big whether that's one acre five acres ten acres or, or whether you're helping manage lake gunnersville you know if you're just one of thousands of people that fish that i think all of those things can apply to a certain degree well, absolutely. I think, you know, especially if you look at our just in our little area, a lot of the fishing that's done is done in farm ponds and, and really small bodies of water. And, and I mean, there's people every year that are having that decision, you know, how, you know, should I keep fish out of here? Or, um, you know, there's guys that don't, you know, landowners that don't want you to keep fishing. Maybe you catch some fish and they're stunted. And that's a decision that you, you really have to have a finger on the pulse of the situation to, to know whether or not you should be keeping fish and how many fish you should keep and based on the size of your body of water and what's what kind of fish are in there, you know, crappie. We, I think everybody has established, everybody we've talked to has said, 
you know, crappie's kind of a bad thing. If you're wanting to manage for bass, crappie and bass just do not mix unless you've got just a huge body of water. And we just don't have that in Indiana. No, I, I think crappie are, are just best served for, for those big lakes and, and rivers and impoundments that, that we don't have. And uh, don't get me wrong, I love to eat them, but I don't love to eat them as much as I love to catch bass. Well, I can tell you this. Uh, for every trip we make uh, out there to uh, to the lease, I'm probably going to spend a little bit of time putting some crappie in a basket. And uh, and uh, that's going to have some, some fish fries, and then I'm going to catch every crappie I can, and I'm going to fillet those suckers up. Well, I mean, uh, even, even five a trip would probably go a long way to helping us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I don't think that'll be hard to catch. No. Well, guys, I hope you've enjoyed this. I know we sure have. Until next time, Hooker Mahunum, Pro Talk Outdoors. Later, guys. 